Ladies and gentlemen, your wonky and affable host, Ryan Luis Rodriguez, here for the final episode of The Coolness Chronicles, at least with that title. As of last week, we reached 99 episodes, and because I don't want next week's Palette Cleanser miniseries to technically kick off with episode 100, we've got this little palette cleanser for the palette cleanser. A digestif, if you will. This episode will serve three purposes. One, we're going to officially announce something that brings me tremendous professional fulfillment and probably will make my hair fall out even earlier than previously estimated. Two, directly respond to the listeners of this show, which I never actually get to do. And three, give me another week to properly prepare for the make or break for this podcast that begins next week. We're at a terrifying precipice here, one that will determine just how many people listen exclusively for MST3K-related stuff, and it goes without saying that my brain is calculating a percentage that is not favorable, and my heart is calculating the opposite. Let's hope my heart is right. Wow, that really brought the room down, didn't it? Oh well, we jump headlong into the bulk of this mini-sode, a question-and-answer session. You, the listener, gave me cues, and I'm gonna A them. First up, Candy, host of The House That Screams, a delightful podcast that I've had the honor of being on twice so far. Favorite MST3K episode of all time? It's Mitchell. I, I don't even have to hesitate for a second or even think about it. Mitchell all the way. It was the first experiment I was compelled to watch Unrift, and if I'm considering Rift and Unrift, I've probably seen it about 40 times. There are episodes that I enjoy that I will never return to again, but Mitchell isn't one of them. In terms of succeeding despite the experiment, the Starfighters is one that I circle back to frequently because it's barely recognizable as a movie and because it seems to not have the esteem among Misties that I think it deserves. Same with Beast of Yucca Flats, which has the best short of all time, uh, Progress Island USA. From Stacy. What got you into movies and not like sports? Uh, that's one I've been puzzling over for a long time. Not the sports part. I have no sense of physical coordination. Although my former footballer dad must be, uh, must be proud of my ability to kick a pigskin and do absolutely nothing else. Uh, but in terms of getting into movies, I don't know if that's one of those things that you can ever really know. You either are into them or you're not. And if you're into them, there's something that you either need or something that you want. Uh, I spent a lot of time alone as a kid a lot of self-isolation, and they were something to pass the time at first, but then my parents started taking me to the theaters regularly, and it became an almost, like, religious experience. This communal appointment where we all felt something as one, and as long as I didn't have to share an armrest with somebody that I didn't know, this was a real sticking point and remains so, uh, movies made me feel alive. I've never really liked my life, but movies can pull me out of the doldrums in ways that nothing else can, but they can make me happy. And like sports, there are rules to movies, but unlike sports, no one enforces them. And that's kind of thrilling. From the podcast, The House That Built Me. Name three people, dead or alive, famous or friendly, that you would want in a zombie apocalypse. Uh, first off, if they're dead, would they be brought back as zombies? Don't answer. Uh, second, I would not survive the opening salvo of a zombie apocalypse, so I'll only bring back people that I would want to talk to. So, 
Uh, okay, let's see. So Robert Altman, George Carlin, and because Rod Serling can write a twist ending and have it manifest as reality, officially getting us out of the zombie apocalypse, he can come back too. From the podcast Queers for Fears, what's one life hack you are proud about discovering? It's called the Watch TCM app. If you have a cable or satellite package and you get Turner Classic Movies, they have a monthly rotating selection of almost everything that the channel broadcasts, and you can add them to watch lists and even see the host intros going back through the past decade. Now I get to fall asleep to the greatest movies instead of spending 20 minutes cycling through anything watchable on Amazon Prime. And for an insomaniac, that's, that's invaluable. From my friend Andy. What is your favorite part of producing this project, and what is your least favorite part? Well, okay, so I have two favorite parts. The research, which could hardly be called work. It's me just watching movies, something that I would have been doing without a podcast to produce. And hearing from listeners is so invigorating and encouraging, that, and it keeps me going through the low moments. Uh, my least favorite part is editing. I hate my voice. It's too high-pitched and nasal and hard to listen to. And editing is nothing but listening to my voice and trimming wherever I stumble over the script, which is frequently. Uh, I have no idea why anyone would listen to my voice, but if they keep doing it, I'll keep pushing through. From Bobby. Is corn grass? God damn it, Bobby! We don't know! They never told us! The question has plagued mankind since time immemorial, and they never told us! Damn you! Damn you all to hell! From Ian. How did you discover MST3K? Uh, Comedy Central used to fill a 24-hour schedule by literally playing 97 episodes of MST3K per broadcast day, uh, in between reruns of The Duck Factory. And typically, it would air an episode on a weekend morning. I would go to play with my friends and return later in the afternoon, midway into another episode. When my family got cable, I was eight or nine, and I probably didn't have the patience to sit down and watch a two-hour comedy show where three people talk over a boring movie. Uh, but it was around the time that the movie was coming out that I really got into it and started watching it whenever I got the chance. It was one of my first obsessions, and I, I had this need to complete my knowledge and see as many episodes as I possibly could, which made the rights issues for some movies so aggravating because there were episodes that would be out of my hands until the later DVDs and access to the internet archive. From one of my childhood best friends, Jay. I've been watching Unforgiven a lot recently, and I am curious about your input of directors who are also actors in their own movie i.e. Braveheart, Clerks, Clerks 2. Uh, I think it depends. Quentin Tarantino, for instance, should be permanently barred from taking part not just in his films, but in all films. His dialogue never sounds more affected than when it comes out of his mouth, and he's just not cool enough to pull it off. But then you also have, like, Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin and Jacques Tati, who excel at performance and directing and become truly transcendent when they do both simultaneously. Uh, to the point of, like, Clint Eastwood and Kevin Smith, both of whom you've alluded to, you have the sweet and you have the sour. Eastwood is typically great in his own movies, but he's also a minimalist and probably appears in his movies because he knows what he's capable of. Smith is a minimalist in terms of ambition and in confidence to deliver his own dense dialogue, which is why he's always stays silent, 
and appearing in his own movies, is egocentric and understated, figuratively loud and literally quiet. From a hopeful future guest, Dakota. What is a film you absolutely refuse to watch? That's tough. I try to eventually open myself up to any kind of experience, but there are a few that might be too harsh for my delicate constitution. So you have, like, Human Centipede 2, which I've read the synopsis of and sounds revolting, or Irreversible, which I know would break my heart, or a Serbian film, which... no thank you. But maybe I'll get around to them. I don't know. Who knows? From a different Ian... What was your first movie recollection, and why did it stick with you? This came up in a recent episode, but it's being uh, terrified by the cornfield scene in E.T. the Extraterrestrial at home, and being terrified by the shark at the beginning of The Little Mermaid in the theater. And they're both movies that I didn't watch in full until years later. It's entirely appropriate that my first two memories would be traumatic ones. The next couple of questions come from Andrea. Is there a movie commonly accepted as great by critics or culture at large that you think is mediocre or bad? A Beautiful Mind won Best Picture in 2001, but it is overwrought, dishonest, exploitative garbage. And although it's not mediocre or bad, I immediately tune out whenever the subject of Lord of the Rings comes up. No, thank you. You get an all-expenses-paid trip to a two-week film festival in the country of your choice. You stay in a quaint hotel close to the venues, and you get spending money for daytime sightseeing. What city do you choose? What films are on the big screen, this being your greatest fantasy film festival? I would immediately choose New York, but if I'm leaving the country, it's gotta be Rome, right? The food, the architecture... I guess Paris is always a good choice, but I'd rather go to Italy. As for the programming, uh, it would have to be a double-blind format. Nothing I know exists could be on the bill. My favorite aspect of film watching is the discovery process. It's nice to experience something that you've been putting off, but having no frame of reference and being knocked on your ass all the same, is the, it's the greatest feeling. Because it feels like a secret handshake with anyone else who knows about it. And being able to watch nothing but secret handshake movies for two entire weeks... I might never leave, I mean, I would stay for the rest of my life, hoping upon hope that someday the festival would return and offer the same feeling. I, where is this festival? Why, can I get tickets? Please! How great are dogs? Uh, the greatest. I didn't get a dog for the longest time, but now I've had two, and they are members of the family without a doubt. They're like very hairy children, and I've doted on them accordingly. How has your podcast changed your perception of MST3K and its creators and cast? What was the most unexpected rabbit hole or finding your research has led you to? Interestingly, where my perception has changed is the movies themselves. When I started doing this podcast, I was kind of a snob, and I painted all the experiments with the same brush. But then watching each episode at least twice to discuss and break them down, I started looking for worthwhile things, and you can see my thought process evolve over a three-year period. It has affected how I look at all films, and I'm so grateful that this show exists, because without it, and without wanting to get granular in detail, I would probably still be a stuffed shirt when it comes to cinema. You know, just to deflect, I blame my high school film studies teacher, 
who push this theory that there are such things as movies and films. Films are art. Movies are just this commercial sellout enterprise. And that's just not the case. But if you listen to the early episodes, that dogma is still in my brain, and I separate describing things as films and movies, but I eventually deprogrammed like some kind of former cult member around chapter 11. In terms of rabbit holes, when I decided that I wanted to do detours as a regular episode feature, I watched like 70 or 80 movies based on references in MST3K, and I only ended up writing about half that many? But the research process was so thrilling that it didn't ultimately feel like time wasted. I mean, it literally was time wasted, but it didn't feel like that. What's the one question you wish someone would ask you but no one has? Simple. Would you marry me? Not gonna happen. From my buddy The Vern. What is the best porn parody of a hit movie? I feel like you're not taking this seriously, Vern. So I'll say there's a porn parody of, I don't know, Elaine May's A New Leaf called A New Queef. I just lost 20% of the audience. Uh, a couple from my pal and former guest, Kari. Most surprised you've ever been by a plot twist in a movie. Okay, this is gonna get me laughed out of any cinephile circles, but Spider-Man Homecoming. The second the twist happened, I immediately started piecing together how carefully that the necessary information was parsed out, which makes the scene following the twist brilliant. That film takes a lot of shit, but the screenplay is actually pretty unassailable. Best example of a movie with a female gaze, or at least attempting it. Beyond attempting, the 100% achieving the female gaze it's Anna Billard's The Love Witch from 2016. If you haven't seen it, go watch it right now. I think it's still streaming on Amazon Prime at the moment. Best movie to show a five-year-old? Uh, it would be Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Pee-wee learns over the course of a 90-minute movie that we're all people and can't be judged on appearances alone, that we all contain multitudes and deserve our understanding. Also, it's funny. Movie that made the best use of its budget. Movie that made the worst use of its budget. Uh, for the best use of budget, I recommend a recent movie that I actually recommended on this very podcast, The Vast of Night, which cost uh, $5 in a box of Band-Aids, yet feels and looks more audacious than anything that recently cost upwards of $100 million. Worst use of its budget? Wild Wild West. All that work, talent, and dump trucks full of cash, and at the end of the day, it was for fucking Wild Wild West. From my buddy Cam. What is best in life? Well, to crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentation of their women. From former guest Matthew J. Elliott. In which movie is Paul Giamatti wasted the most? Amazing Spider-Man 2 or Hangover 2? Oh, Hangover 2. He's the best thing in Amazing Spider-Man 2. And it bums me out that they put him in the robo-rhino suit for only the last scene. If the rest of the movie were as interesting as his two scenes, it would be worth watching. Whereas Hangover 2, I didn't even remember he was actually in that movie until you just brought it up. From Becca. What are your favorite movie soundtracks, and why? 
Uh, the aforementioned Pee-wee's Big Adventure, because Danny Elfman peaked with his first score. This haunted carnival that channels an overgrown kid's sense of innocence and adventure. Like, what if Pee-wee Herman was a piece of music? That's the soundtrack. Uh, and the soundtrack to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, because I wish I could take this immaculate track list, powderize it, heat that powder in a spoon, and inject it directly into my soul. And of course, Rushmore. One of the few movies where the score is as immediately recognizable as the needle drops in it. From my Reels of Justice co-host, Dylan. Who would you put on your Mount Rushmore of podcasting? Uh, assuming that Mount Rushmore means I get to pick four shows to represent, uh, 80s all over, screen drafts, blank check with Griffin and David, pure cinema podcast. And I would build an additional head to represent You Must Remember This, because if it wasn't for Karina Longworth, I never would have been inspired to throw my hat into the ring, and therefore this podcast wouldn't exist. Uh, please direct your complaints to her Twitter account. She has no idea who I am. Before we wrap up, now seems as good a time as any to reveal that the long, unawaited, commentary-centric spin-off of The Coolness Chronicles, One Track Mind, will be launching in the first week of September. I meant to launch it last fall, but simply did not have the bandwidth to do shows simultaneously. Uh, but since I was able to bank a lot of upcoming episodes for this podcast, it's now something that I could pull off. Every month there will be at least two episodes detailing what we can learn about film through DVD and Laserdisc audio commentaries, plus occasional interviews with uh, critics, podcasters, writers, directors, and fellow cinephiles, and even commentaries on movies that sadly don't currently have a track of their own. It's going to be something special, and I hope you join me in this audio adventure. But before we take off for the week, it's the moment you've all been waiting for. It's Ryan's Recommendations. I really should have learned my lesson from 2019's Crawl. Before actually sitting down to watch it, I smugly dismissed it as some run-of-the-mill junkie exploitation movie about a about a woman staying one step ahead of a bunch of CGI alligators, only to sit down and watch an upper-shelf genre picture about resilience and trauma. Well, when I read the logline of Nobody, released earlier this year, I found myself once again taking on the role of Snob. Oh, <laughs> Bob Odenkirk is a badass murder machine in an action movie from the guy who made Hardcore Henry? Yeah, right. I'm an idiot, because Nobody is pretty awesome. The kitty cat bracelet. <laughs> Give me the goddamn kitty cat bracelet, motherfuckers! Before sitting down to watch this film, I hadn't set foot in a movie theater, the church of my choice, for 14 months. This pandemic has truly been a beast. No matter what I watched, there was bound to be some kind of cathartic release, but going to my local theater and getting to experience uh, something like Nobody made it so much more memorable. If you don't feel like returning to the movies quite just yet, or just aren't vaccinated, you can rent or purchase the film on the VOD streamer of your choice. For more reviews and recommendations, check out my Letterbox page at letterbox.com slash coolnesspodcast. Next week, it's the first part of a four-part miniseries on the Toy Story franchise, one that I am super proud of, and hopefully you'll tune in. 
Uh, each episode will cover a single film in the franchise, filled with fun trivia, lame jokes, and the general enthusiasm you find on this podcast, which is either enough to convince you to tune in or to convince you to tune out, depending on your preferences. Special thanks to our amazing patrons Ian M, Andy B, Kelly B, P, B and Awesome, Michael H, Bill M, Christopher H, Mary M, Christopher J, The Vern, Tracy R, and Jenny R. Until next time, do what you love, don't be a dick, and happy anniversary! Woo! I mean, take care.